Good morning, Promise Church. Am I on? Yeah. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing today? Good? Good? Okay. Awesome. And so, um, some of you don't know me. My name is Zach. Um, Zach Park. It's my wife, Corey, and, and kids are here, and uh, Corey's family are, are uh, on vacation right now. Um, so, they're in from St. Louis, and so, um, say hello to them and things like that. And so, but... Um, yeah, we, we worship at Ecclesia Christian Fellowship up in San Bernardino, and, and my, my day job is I'm on, I'm on staff with ministry called Family Life, a ministry of crew, and so that, that's what I do full time. But Pastor Roy and I are, are good friends. Uh, we used to worship here, and we didn't leave for bad reasons, don't worry. Um, and, and, and so every once in a while, Pastor Roy asks me to uh, preach, and so some of you guys may have seen me before or, or not, but... Uh, I, it's, a, it's an honor and privilege to be here with you guys to bring the word. And so what Pastor Roy asked me to do was talk about missions. That's very uh, appropriate as there's a team in, in Africa and Malawi. Um, They're on mission um, with, you know, w I don't know how many people are there. Maybe there's 10 of them or something like that. Uh, they are being on mission and bringing, bringing the gospel to, to that part of the world. Um, but I'm going to do something a little bit different uh, in my preaching today is uh, just to give you a little bit of a context of, about how we study the Bible. And so what Pastor Roy does up here every Sunday, he gives, you know, reads, reads a passage and probably gives uh, maybe three different points about something. And, and there's a main idea of that, of that passage, right? And that's how, that's called expository preaching or in a very technical term, it's called, it's called an exegetical uh, preaching, and, and that, that's really common in our Christian circles, and when you're in small group Bible studies, that's what we do a lot of times. You read the passage, and it's like, hey, what, let's try to figure out the main idea of that passage, and, and what does it actually say about God, us, or whoever, right? And so you guys are pretty familiar with, with, that, with that idea. Uh, but today I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. Um, there, there's a way of studying the Bible called biblical theology, Biblical theology is that essentially you're going through the whole book of the Bible and, and teasing out a theme of, of, of what the Bible says about a certain topic, whether that's, whether that's deity of Christ, whether that's you know, sinfulness of humanity. Whatever the topic is, when you pick up a systematic theology book, is, is that you, you go through a topic through the whole Bible. And so that's what we're going to do today. So I don't have a one specific passage for you. But I'd like for you guys to follow along with me. So if you have a, you know, old school analog version of the Bible, you can you can pull it out. Um, or you, if you have a an app, a Bible app, uh, I'd like for you guys to pull that out and just kind of follow along with me. Um, and essentially, we're going to be doing an overview of of what Bible says about missions. We're going to do an overview of what Bible says about missions. Um, so would you would you pray with me right now? Father, we, we thank you so much for um, this Lord's Day, this Sunday, as, as we gather together as the church. God, I pray that as we, as we learn about your mission, uh, as we learn about what mission is, God, I pray that you would you stir our hearts, Lord. Let our ears be opened, our hearts be opened to be able to receive your word. Let it not be of my own words, Father but it'll be one of yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And so, 
When you think about missions, if, you, if you're a Christian or if you grew up in the church, I just think about maybe what passage that com- comes to mind. You don't have to shout it out, but you think about maybe what, what Bible passage comes to mind or what church activity that come to mind for you guys. Just think about that for a moment. What, what Bible passage or what, what church activity comes to mind when, when, you, uh, when you think about missions? And so I think I was in middle school. I wasn't a Christian. My parents aren't Christians. And, but, but my parents made me go to this mission trip when I was in middle school. I don't know why I put it in quotes. It was a mission trip, I guess. Um, and, but it was, it was, they called it a work camp, which means you, you go and you spend a week with all the other you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers, and you work on houses. You, know, you partner with Habitat for Humanity or whoever else, and you work on broken down houses. And so I learned how to roof, you know, you know, put, on, put on the shingles on, on a rooftop, and a lot of different things. And I was in middle school, I didn't know what I was doing. But um, that was a mission trip. I didn't know exactly, I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't know what that really was. And it was like, oh, a bunch of high school kids coming and working, and then at night, you know, kids going off to, you know, do some other stuff, you know, some of them appropriate, some of them not appropriate, you know, and so things like that. I was like, is that a mission trip? I don't know what that is. And so, or some of you guys are maybe thinking about a passage in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. This is what Jesus tells the disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything written in it, written, written, everything that I have taught you. And so, or maybe some of you are thinking about short-term mission trips, like, like what the Promise Church is doing right now in, in Malawi. You go and give lift to the long-term missionaries that are overseas, right? Um, all, all, none, of those, none of those things are wrong or bad, right? But today, I, w- I want to talk to you guys about we need to be rethinking about missions. And our title is Rethinking Missions, Becoming Sent Ones. And so... I'll give you the first point, and then we're going to go through scripture. Okay? Our, our, my for, first point is as we rethink missions, mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. Let me repeat that. Missions is not a primarily an activity of the church, but it's an attribute of God. And so when you think about an attribute of God, a lot of times, a lot of times we think about holiness, Right or justice, God is love, or or God is you know God God is sovereign, God is God is all knowing, and He's all powerful. Those are the things that we think about when we think about an attribute of God, but but often but often we don't think about mission, God as a missionary God, at all. Rarely do we think about that. But the problem is the Bible actually teaches that God is a missionary God throughout from Genesis to Revelation. And context is everything. When you read the Bible, when you, read, when you study the Bible, context is everything. Context is everything. And so, for example, we just sang a song, but, but why does we, we, if you're a Christian, we believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Why? Because the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. But if you don't have a context for that, why does blood do anything? Why does blood of anybody, you know, actually erases my sin? If you don't understand that, it's because in the Old Testament, there was a system of, of killing of, of sheep or a goat, 
and, and making a sacrifice and an altar, right? And so the blood was shed. And that's the context. If we don't have a context for that, especially if you're not a Christian, it's like blood of what? Like blood is gross, right? I was in a bio class in college. I remember blood was gross. And, and yet we say the blood of Jesus saves us, right? And so, or another different context is, is that if we don't have right context for the Bible, how Bible is written or how, what the Bible is actually talking about, we can use what the Bible have to, has to say and twist and use it in a really, really wrong way. That's called misunderstanding or misreading scripture. And one of the biggest example in, in the United States is slavery, right? There's slavery in the Bible. God does not condone it, actually. But, but people read it in a wrong way and combined that with the economic you know, gains that you could have with slavery. There was a whole system in the United States and Europe and Africa, right? Their whole system of slavery that was instituted. And there were some Christians who were saying, hey, that's not cool, that's not right, that's not what the Bible says. But by and large, people use Bible, scripture, as a, as a proof or as a defense for slavery. So we need to understand that, that everything has a context. And the biggest, biggest context is the Bible has a theme, a grand narrative, and it all has to do with mission of God. It all has to do with the mission of God. And mission isn't by something that Bible just talks about, but mission is what Bible is actually about. Let me repeat that. Mission isn't what just the Bible just merely talks about, but mission is what Bible is actually about. And so if we look at the Bible, if we look at the Bible, essentially it's, it's, it's one book. It's 66 books and written over a period of 1,000 years, but it tells one story. It tells one story. And every, any, just like any other books that you've ever read, there's introduction, there's a plot, and there's some sort of a conclusion. And, and so the Bible is Genesis 1 through 11 is the introduction. Genesis 1 through 11 is the introduction. Genesis 12 through Jude, which is the second to the last book of the Bible, uh, is, is the plot, is the, is the outworking of that introduction. And the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, is the conclusion. And so, so meet with me in, in Genesis. We're going to start there. And so we're going to start there, and we're going we're to see where, where the missionary heart of God comes from. In Genesis 1.8, Genesis 1.8, this is the first command that God gives, gives to humanity. He says to Adam and Eve, God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God created Adam and Eve in his image, and what God wanted them to do is multiply themselves and fill the earth with, with God's image bearers and God worshipers. And that is the mission of God, that God made Adam and Eve not just to tend the garden, but to really fill the earth with image bearers and worshipers of God. Problem is, is that if you, if you know anything about the Bible in Genesis 3, Sin comes into the world, right? Sin comes into the world, and, and by chapter 8, the world was not actually looking all that great. The people, people were not worshiping God, but God, God, God wanted to fill the earth 
with God worshipers. And that's the mission of God, by the way. Uh, that's, you're going to see that theme throughout. And yet, by chapter 8, things weren't all that great. And so, in Genesis 9-1, it says, God talks to Noah, and then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Same command as Genesis 1, right? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Again, did that happen? No. And as we come to chapter 11, there's a failure right around the corner. Genesis 11. Now the whole world had one language and common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plains in Shinar and settled there. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Rather than scattering, rather than being fruitful and multiplying to the, all the earth, there, there, was a, there was a momentum to build a city, build a tower, and be, be just near each other. Right? So what does God do? Genesis 11, 7 through 8. Come, let us go down and confuse their language. They had one language. Confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them. God forced them, right? Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. And they stopped building the city. What was the mission of God? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? God's image bearers. Fill the earth with God worshipers. Community of people who are worshiping God. That, that's God's desire and that is his mission. And yet, we failed. And yet, they were wanting to come together. And so God said, you know, I'm going to scatter you guys all over the world. This is the creation of nations. And, and as soon as God creates these nations, in, in, in Greek, it's the, it's the Greek word ethne, E-T-H-N-E, ethne, that's the word, it's the, it's the English word ethnic comes from, right? And so, and, and God initiates a plan after, so the, so we are at Genesis 11, and I said that was the introduction, right? We're at the end of our introduction, but the plot thickens, right? The plot thickens. He initiates a plan of group of people where he sets aside, he creates a, a one nation that will be a missionary nation. That's God's desire, by the way. Um, he, he creates one nation that's a missionary nation, which is Israel. On a side note, by the way, um, that's not America, right, <laughs> by the way. And so there, there's a lot of, that's another one of those misreading of scriptures. People are saying, hey, look, God creates a nation to, to be a missionary nation to the world, that we need to take the gospel to the world. Oh, that must be America. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> that, that's a bad reading of the Bible, right? Um, God sets, sets, aside, sets aside Israel. So Genesis 12, 1. This is the beginning of the plot now. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will bless you, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. I'm going to go a little faster now. Genesis 26, verse 4. This is God speaking to Abram's son. 
I will make your descendants as numerous as stars in the sky, and will give them all these lands, and through your offspring, all nations, all ethne on earth will be blessed. All nations will be blessed. To Jacob, Genesis 28, 14. Genesis 28, 14. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to north and to south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. What is that blessing? That blessing isn't just helping them out. That blessing is that, that they would know the one true God. That, that they would worship God himself. Submission was for everyone in Abraham's family and his children and his children and, and to make God known throughout the earth. Again, the original command of be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so God creates these people, God calls these people, these Israelites, and, and God is setting up a nation, missionary nation, if it's a nation, it's not just one person, right? It's, it's a nation, and so God gives them rules and laws to regulate themselves. That's like the book of, that's the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. That's the book of all, book of Leviticus. Uh, but, but those commandments are given, those laws were given, not just so that they could be quote-unquote holy, that's part of it, but the ultimate purpose behind it, you can f be found in Deuteronomy 4, 5, and 6. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 6. Why are we observing the law? Observe the law carefully. Observe them carefully. For this will show your wisdom and understanding to whom? To the nations. To the nations. Why, did, why are they supposed to follow the law? Why are they supposed to follow the, the Levitical laws and, and the Ten Commandments? It's good for them. It's being holy, of course, and God commands them. But ultimately, this will show your wisdom and understanding about God himself to the nations. To the nations. So when we think about the mission of God, again, it's not an activity that we do. It's who he is. Because he is wanting to fulfill a mission of all the earth, being, being, filling the earth with God worshipers. So when, we think, when you think about your own life as an individual, when other people see you, will they understand, will, will, will that show to the world that you have the wisdom and understanding to the nations? That's a question that you need to ask yourselves. But today's not about that. There's, <laughs> and so I'm going to keep going. Because God's reputation is on the line, right? Who God is is on the line. And, and people have heard, other nations have heard that, about how God works. In Joshua 2, 9 through 10, we just keep going after Deuteronomy. In Joshua 2, 9 through 10, this is Rahab. I, Rahab, know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters in the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. That people are hearing and other nations are hearing who God is because God wants his name to be known throughout the earth. 1 Kings 4, 30, 434, 
God gives Solomon this incredible amount of wisdom. Solomon was the third king of the nation of Israel. You have Saul, David, and, and Solomon. And But the purpose wasn't just to give him wisdom. The purpose wasn't just a Bible story, but for, for the nations to know who God is. 1 King 4, 34. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. So people are coming, people are coming to hear about who this God is and this amazing wisdom that Solomon has. Even when the nation was broken after that, there was a war and, and, and they, are, they are sent out in exile, right? And so because other, other, other nations came and attacked, attacked Israel. Even in exile, Daniel 3, 29, there's an impact that was made to this, this, this pagan king. Therefore I, Nebuchadnezzar, decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of, God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. For no other God can save in this way. This, this, this non-Israelite king understands now that, that, that there is a God. And this God, is no other God can save like this. Daniel 6.26, I, Darius, issue, issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and, and be in reverence of God of Daniel. So Daniel, here's a, he, he, he believes in Yahweh, and he's in a place where their Yahweh is not worshipped, and yet, because of his work and how, how, and how, he, he's, how he's talked to the kings, that now the, he's having the influence on the king and, and making God known throughout the world. Let's go to the New Testament. As we transition, the context of God's story remains exactly the same. Mission of God is actually still the same. Where that he wants his people to be worshiping him. All of creation to worship him. Mark 11. Mark 11, verse 15 through 17. This is a story of where Jesus comes into the temple and he's incredibly angry and he's like flipping tables and he is, he, he's incredibly angry, primarily not because there was trades being done, not because there was business being done in the temple, but the primary reason is, is, that, is, is that, that the nations who are coming to worship God, they, were, they weren't able to do so. The Gentiles, the, the, the non-Israelites non were coming to worship God of Israel, but they weren't able to do so because of the business that was being done. So Mark eleven fifteen, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? Jesus asks. And they, they were shutting out the very, very nations that God desired to gather and include in worship. This is why Jesus was flipping out. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all ethne, and then the end will come. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the, preach the good news to all creation. Why? God's desire, his mission is for him to be glorified, for people to worship him, all, all creation to be worshiping him. 
There are some other famous passages, right? Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Again, when Jesus leaves, this is the command that he gives. And Paul, in Romans 15, 20, I have made it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not yet known so that I wouldn't build on another man's foundation. When we think about the ends of the earth, when we think about all knowing Christ, we know that we're not there yet. And yet, Revelation now is the conclusion of the book. Right? We've gone through We've gone through the introduction in Genesis 1 through 11, the mission of God being set, and then the plot is, is that the mission of God is being fulfilled step by step. It's not quite there yet, and we're not at Revelation yet, because we're, we're, Christ hasn't come back yet. But in Revelation 7, John, the guy who writes Revelation, he records a scene in this throne room, the worship room, and, and he sees, after this I looked... And there before me, this is the fulfillment of God's mission, right? Before me, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. That Lamb is Christ, that Lamb is Jesus. And, and people, now all people on earth were gathered, everyone from every nation, tribe, people, and language, worshiping God. This is the fulfillment of the mission of God. You see, God is a missionary God. For, from, from cover to cover, there's this theme of God wanting to fulfill his mission. What's amazing is, is that missions and evangelism, none of these things are going to actually exist in heaven. Because all the work is done. But that's a, that is the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate mission of God. And so when I say that mission is the attribute of God, that's exactly what I mean. It's not an activity that we do, right? It's, the, it's an attribute of God. And so that was the first point, all right? Um, and so if we truly understand that, that mission is an attribute of God, why does that matter? Why does this matter? What, what are the implications? Here's my second point. I only have two points. I don't have three points, okay? And so my second point, point is that that means we need to rethink how we do church. We need to rethink church. That church is not primarily a sending body. Rather, the church is a body that is sent. I'm going to repeat that. Church is not a primarily a sending body but rather the church is a body that is sent. The context of the Bible is that we are living on mission, that, that everybody that was called in, in, in Scripture, they were, they were to fulfill a mission, and that mission is exactly the same from, from Genesis to Revelation, in that, the, we, that we are to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with what? Not with just more people, but fill the earth with people who are worshiping God. 
that is the context of scriptures. And what that means is that now the church in the New Testament age, that we, we are to be the sent ones. That we are to be the sent ones. That's the title of the message, right? We need to rethink church, become sent ones. To become sent ones. In other words, if God is a missionary God, and he is, then, then his people, God's people, are missionary people. And some of you are thinking, I don't want to be a missionary. <laughs> some of you are thinking, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want, there's a reason why I didn't go to Africa this time around, <laughs> right? Um, and, and yet, as individuals and as collective as, as a body of Christ, that we are, we are sent ones. We are sent and when we fail to go to people and encounter the gospel meaningfully, that we're asking non-Christians, non-God believers, to, to cross cultures into the church. And so before I talk about, about rethinking church, I, I want to tell you a little bit. Um, there are two prevailing views of the church. Um, these, this isn't theological, I, I actually kind of made it up, but there, there's an old school traditional view of the church and there's a modern view of the church, and they're both wrong, in my opinion. This is that there's an old school, old school traditional view of the church is, is, is something where a church is a place where certain things happen. If you're Catholic, for example, church is where, where you go to do confessions, right? If you're Protestant, church is where you go to to hear, hear God's word preached. That's not a bad thing. Confession's not a bad thing, right? Um, or, or, or you go to church to, to take communion or go to church to do life together with other Christians. Initially, you guys are thinking, maybe many of you are thinking, oh, that sounds not, not, not a bad idea. And it's not a bad idea, except that's not the primary role of the church. Kind of newer and modern, a little bit more modern view of church is that church sometimes is, is a vendor of religious goods. I want to I wanna have a good program for my, for my kids. I want to meet other single people. I want to um, do parenting seminars. I want to do children's programs. I want, I want great music because that's how I worship God. And so, so church becomes a little bit more, mo in, in, in our current day, in the 21st century, is, is that it becomes a vendor of religious goods and services. See, the major, major issue with both of these, modern view and the traditional view, is, is that the church is seen as an institution that exists for the benefit of the members. Think about that for a moment. Promise Church has membership classes, and, and I know some of you have kind of gone through it, right? But the issue with both of these views is that church is seen as, as something, a group, an organization, an institution that exists for the benefit of the members. Benefit of the members is actually a byproduct of what the church does, not the primary calling of the church. Does that make sense? That the primary calling of the church is, is, is that we are sent ones. That God has sent us to your community, to your schools, to your work, to your family to make God known. That is the primary role of when church gathers. We are training each other, right? That's why you have Bible studies. It's not just for community. That you're being trained and not being, you're being sent out. 
It's an amazing concept. Once a week, we gather together to be trained, and six days a week that, that we are out and being sent. And so this idea of sending is throughout the Bible. I'm not going to go through from Genesis to Revelation again. But, but this idea of sending is throughout the Bible. There's over 200 times where God is the one who's doing the sending throughout the Bible. There's over 1,000 times in the Bible that the idea of sending is with, within the people who are called. So I want to go through just a couple places to look through that. In Exodus 3, you can get there or if you don't have to, but uh, this, is, this is calling of Moses. Exodus 3.10. So now, I am going to send you, send, send you, send you, he's going to send, God's sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people to Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, I am, who am I that I, I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. God is sending. I am sending you. He keeps saying, I am sending you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of, the, God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? And I shall tell them, what the, then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, tell them, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, that, that, that the I am has sent you. The God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is, this is, the, this is the only place that, well, this is the first place that, that the Yahweh reveals his name. He says, I am who I am. He is the great I am. In the same passage, he, he's, he's saying that, that I am sending you. You have the power to go because I am has sent you. And, and, and there are other places. Um, another classic passage is Isaiah 6, calling of Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, 8, it says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? To this, Isaiah responds, here I am, send me. God is wanting to send people to other locations, whether that's geographically or, or, or personally in your household, whether it's your, to your neighbors. But God is sending us. And the same Isaiah who was called is also being, who's being called um, in, in Isaiah 61 talks about how he believes that he is sent. So Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim the freedom of the captives. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom of the captives. He has sent me to release darkness for the prisoners. He has sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. He has sent me to comfort all who mourn. He has sent me 
to provide for those who grieve Zion. He has sent me to bestow on them the crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. Isaiah understands as a prophet that he is a sent one. Interestingly enough, this is the same passage that Jesus reads in Luke 4. This is a passage that Jesus reads in Luke 4, because he understands that he is a sent one. It's not just Jesus, right? All the prophets were sent ones. John the Baptist in John 1, 6, that talks about how he is a sent one. And finally, Jesus says in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. It's not just, Jesus isn't just like drawing a parallel. Rather, he's deliberately and precisely making a point that how Jesus was sent ought to be a model for our lives. That we are also sent ones. You see, our understanding of church's mission must flow from our understanding of Jesus' mission as, as revealed in the Gospels. Again, why does this matter? Why does this matter? Church is not primarily a sending body, but body that is sent. It matters because the nature and essence of the church and the nature and essence of, of your own lives is rooted in the missionary nature of God. In other words, if God is a missionary God, then we as his people are missionary people. Practically, how does that work? If we are sent ones, right? Mission of God it hasn't changed from Genesis 1. We haven't gotten to Revelation yet. We're somewhere in between, you know, right? And so... So, so what does this actually mean? That our primary calling is sent ones. That you are being sent to where you are. Your families, to your schools, to your coworkers, to your neighbors. You might say, hey, Zach, I can't do all of that. Pick one, right? Whether that's your classmates or families or coworkers or whoever, or your family, right? that we go to places near, grow where we are. We also go to places that are far, going to where we're not. That's why we have a short-term mission trip. Uh, it promises short-term mission trip to, to Malawi. That we're, they're going to places that are far. Does that mean missions is only when you, when you get on a plane? No. Missions is also loving your neighbors. Loving your loving your bosses, loving your employees. If you're in a managerial position, loving those who are under you. We go to, we go to places where gospel is not. If you understand that, then, then you understand your salvation so much better. God didn't save us just so that we could have church. If, if, if that were the case, God, God could have saved us, saved you, and plucked you out of earth and just put you in heaven and so that we can all worship together. 
right? In Ephesians 2, uh, 8, 9, and 10, well, it talks about, for it is by grace that you have been saved. It's by grace that you have been saved. Why were you saved? In verse 10, for you are God's workmanship. Or for, for you are God's masterpiece, another other translation says. Created you to do the good works that I have called you to do. You weren't saved to do nothing. Rather, you were created to do good works. That good works is, is fulfilling the mission of God. And so I'll end with this. What does it mean to say yes to the mission of God in your life? There are plenty of ways to say, say no, right? But what, what does it mean to say yes to the mission of God? Does that legitimately mean I'll, I'll say yes to the next Malawi mission? You don't know the date, you don't know the circumstances or, or, or where you're going to be, but does that mean saying yes to that by faith? Does that mean saying yes to I will pray for all my non-Christian friends and at some point have a goal of sharing Christ with them? Does that mean I'm gonna I'm gonna be available to my kids to preach the gospel to them. I don't know, but that's on you, as individuals here, if you're a Christ follower. And then as the church, this church leadership, what does it mean that that we are a missionary church? Because missionary church isn't just like one church thing. All churches ought to be a missionary church. Because God's mission hasn't changed. It's to be fruitful, to multiply, and fill the earth with people who are worshiping God. And until Revelation 7 comes, our mission hasn't changed either. Because God's mission hasn't changed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a missionary God. We, we thank you... That, that, that your mission impossible, it wasn't impossible, but that, that your mission of saving us has been somewhat fulfilled. That, that you sent Christ so that he would die for our sins. So that we could have a relationship with you. And that relationship, God, let us be humble enough. Let us, let us say yes enough to say, God, thank you for saving me, but not only that, but God, thank you. Would you allow me to be a vessel to be used to taking the gospel to other places? We want what you want, Lord. God, we want your missionary heart to be our hearts. And I pray that, that when we think about missions, we wouldn't be thinking about activities. We wouldn't be thinking about what more do I need to do we wouldn't even be thinking about, quote-unquote, more evangelism. But, Lord, I pray that, that, that you would give us a heart to join with you in your mission in saving this world. Father, we thank you. We love you. Let us all become missionaries in one, in, in one shape or another.